Welcome to episode 113 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Tamlin, Michelle, and Alice. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Tamlin, Michelle, and Alice, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we're going to talk about fun. Think about how you used to have fun, maybe when you were a kid. Think about how that changed as you grew up, uh, and how being involved in an alcoholic family or relationship may have changed the way in which you have fun. And then, how has recovery again changed the way you think about fun and the kind of fun that you have and what you think is necessary to have fun. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of fun. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. And joining me for the first part of the show is co-host Brooke. Good morning, Brooke. Good morning, Spencer. I wanted to start with just sort of a, a general question. You know, what does what does this concept of fun, what does this mean to you? It's interesting, this topic that when I heard it, when you when I heard you talk about it, I knew it was another topic for me because I'm in step four and the beginning of step four. My sponsor really has me trying to focus on doing things that bring me joy and that, that help me relax. So I think before this process, I, I thought fun had to be something exciting and cool and doing something like extremely, you know, traveling or something big. And now I'm learning that fun can be uh, playing Uno with my friends or some, it can be very simple and just something that, that helps me take my mind off of whatever, you know, is on it at the time. That's, you know, I hadn't thought about those. How'd you say it brings you joy or helps you relax? Is that what you said? Yes. And, and, and that's a great definition. Um, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it that way before. What what sort of things, so playing Uno with your friends um, is is fun, <laughs> which, yeah, absolutely. For me, it might be uh, Euchre, which is uh, probably a game that, that you're not familiar with. It seems to be more of a Midwest game. It's a trick-taking card game with four people that I learned when I was in high school, actually. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun, but you got to get three other people. That's the trick with that one. You know, you can't do mm. it by yourself. Mm. And you've said a little bit about what you, how you thought about fun before you came into the program, before you started working the steps. Um, may, could you um, elaborate on that a little bit more and on maybe what, um, what conditions you thought you had to have in order to have fun? I think before the program, fun had to be exciting and, and planned in advance and had to be, you know, some intricate activity, some form of like activity that had to be planned, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, going to a new restaurant that, that I wanted to go to, or, you know, trying out, going to see music. It always had to be something very elaborate in terms of planning mm-hmm. and, and thought about ahead of time. And I guess now after I've had, had this conversation with my sponsor, she gave me this task when we started step four to really look at my childhood and look at something that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I came up with was, you know, I liked to do gymnastics when I I was a kid and she was, and her response was no, (laughs) like it has to be something that has no competition in it and no sort of like excitement in it as well. And so I discovered this week that I like reading like cooking and health magazines in my bedroom in the evening. And that is now something that I find fun. And it's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. You said something about childhood and that just triggered this thought in me about, um, I know when I was a child, um, fun was just something we did. I mean, 
Um, and, and there wasn't usually a lot of planning and stuff. And, um, and I wonder if you think back, um, did you have spontaneous fun by yourself or with friends when, when you were a child and, and, and how did, when did, when, and how did that change? I never had fun as a child. Oh. I, 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 I mean, I guess never is a pretty strong statement, but if I look back at it, I, I never really remember. I have an older brother. I never really remember he and I spontaneously doing something and having it be fun. I remember my play dates had to be planned and everything had to be planned. It couldn't just be, it was, yeah, I don't remember just playing by myself and having fun. Hmm. And that's part of what made this, this, um, you know, thing that my sponsor asked me to do even more difficult because I, I was, you know, first tried playing a board game, like the game trouble with my husband. And that brought up a lot of feelings when I was a child about how competitive everything was with my older siblings. So that wasn't fun. So it's, it, you know, as, as I go through step four, it's painful because I think about things that should have been fun and they just weren't Hmm. like if I wasn't good at something, it couldn't be fun. Yeah. Wow. And and I wonder if there's some a generational thing going on here too because I grew up in the '60s and uh, we could just we could go out of the house we could go um, play with the neighbor kids and and there was no planning involved I mean if we had to be driven somewhere I suppose um, there had to be some planning and we would go out we would go there was a stream behind our house and we could go down there and just um, you know splash around in the stream and look for frogs or whatever it was and. And it just was so spontaneous. And then, you know, as I got older, somehow things had to be more planned. And one of the things that that I think I've talked about before in the in the podcast is this notion that if I was going to go do something, but there were other people around me, that those other people, whether they're family or whatever, they had to be had to be involved, and they had to agree that this was something we were going to do, and that that makes it really a lot harder to do, you know, something spontaneous for mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. And I also like that, uh, you talked about you know, reading, reading, um, you know, cooking magazines, health magazines as a form of fun that, and that is something that is so simple and that doesn't have to involve anybody else. It doesn't have to involve going somewhere. Uh, you can just take a moment and, and do it. And, and that's, it, it really helps to illuminate this sort of spectrum of possibilities for me that it can be. And, and I also enjoy reading cooking magazines. Uh, (laughs) So that one, that one resonated with me for sure. Uh, But it can also be tussling with my dog over his toy. Uh, And that, that usually is initiated by him, but occasionally I try to initiate. Sometimes he responds. Usually he responds like, toy, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It can be, you know, you talked about going out to to music and that that's something that that I discovered I could do. I've always enjoyed music. I've always enjoyed going to concerts. But again, there was this thing, well, if my wife doesn't want to go, then I can't go, right? So my fun was being conditional on somebody else. And and that's, that's, well, that's no fun. I'm seeing that as well with my, with my husband that he and I don't have to do the same things to have fun. And we don't have to, if we don't find the same activities fun for certain activities fun, that's okay. Like yesterday he, he was very, very busy and had to work yesterday. And my friends who happened to be in program invited me for dinner. And I think this is one of the first times that I went somewhere without him and really had a good time and didn't feel guilty that he wasn't with me and and it was really fun it was it was and this i think when i you asked me what fun was like before like if i were to go out to dinner it would have to be this big thing and yesterday it was not any it was planned last minute it was a very you know simple not an exciting place and it was so much fun yeah we have a question here, and I think you've really addressed it pretty well, but what have you learned about having fun in your recovery? That it should be simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Beautiful. laughs> yeah. 
I think the big thing, and I, I alluded to this, is that I can have fun by myself. Recently, a nearby place has been having local musicians in on Mondays. I think it's slow there on Mondays, so they, they bring in music and, and attract people to come, along with $2 tacos, which... And they have, and it's not it's not your typical Taco Bell type tacos either. You know, it might be pulled pork, or it might be black bean and pineapple, or mm. you know, they're 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 interesting food. And and so you put together the two dollar tacos and the music, and that's a very attractive thing to do for me at least. And during the first several months of this year, uh, my wife works as a tax preparer, and so she was typically working on Monday evenings, and so it was very easy for me to say. I'm going to go to music. And then April 15th rolls around and she's not not working on taxes anymore and so the first Monday after April 15th I'm kind of like, well, hmm, should I stay home and be with her because I, we also didn't get to see a whole lot of each other during during the latter part of tax season in particular. And and she said, "Go to your music." I'm like because again, here's my codependency, like that, and I think I'm looking at it both ways. One is that that sort of my happiness depends on her not being mad at me or something. I don't know what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not rational. It's not something I think about. It's a feeling, right? But also that in some way I have a responsibility to make her happy, okay? And that gets in the way of uh, me having fun. She doesn't. She's not interested in going to the music, and 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 so I sort of feel like, well, hmm, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't do it. Uh, so I still have I still have those sort of codependent thoughts, those uh, thoughts that both my happiness depends on somebody else, and that it's my job to make somebody else happy that sometimes can prevent me from having fun. One of the things I discovered a few years ago, and, and I haven't done it so much lately, which, eh, you know, so stuff comes and goes, I guess, in my life, is uh, taking uh, a long walk uh, in one of the, the local nature areas uh, by the river, uh, usually with the dog and with a camera. Maybe I'd see something interesting to take pictures of. Uh, there was always birds and flowers and whatever to look at and uh, of course, the dog had to stop every couple of feet and sniff things, which helped to slow me down. And that I think was one of the purposes. Is a sort of a sort of a uh, what do you call it? Serene fun. Uh, you know, it's something that I can enjoy that doesn't have really a goal. Uh, you were talking about where you tried to play a board game with your husband, and the competition aspect of that was was not comfortable for you. Uh, yeah, we actually tried it last week, and it just ended. It brought up memories of when I was a kid, and I grew up in the '80s, so it was video games. Mm-hmm. And I remember because my brother, my older brother, is about four years older. He was very, very good at them, oh, so I would just watch him play. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't play myself because it was like because I wasn't good as and. In like Super Mario Brothers, I used to die all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> he didn't. I didn't, and I don't think he didn't want. He didn't want me to play because I I brought the game down. If you know what I mean, like the levels went down, and I couldn't keep up, and it became this. It became something not fun. So uh-huh. something that was supposed to be fun became not fun. And when and my husband was getting very into trouble, and like you know really wanting to win. And so then I realized this is not the right sort. This is not the objective <laughs> that my, that my sponsor was hoping for. Really? Really? Yeah. And, and I was, I was thinking that, um, for me, a certain amount of competition can be fun. Um, it can also make me extremely frustrated and angry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's sort of, yeah, I felt just not good. Um, and then I I went back to what my sponsor said, keep it simple. And then last, I don't know what night I took, you know, I have, I get a lot of magazines. I like to read magazines Yeah. and I took them all into my bedroom and read them, you know, for a half hour, two of them. And I was like, this is really fun. 
And I liked what you said that it doesn't have to involve other people. Because I think I always wanted to be, and in my family, I played that role of, of like the fixer and making sure everyone was happy. And, and if there was ever a problem between other people in, in the family, I would try and get involved as a child and fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and doing this, activity by myself I thought this is cool like I don't need anyone else and I'm not responsible for anybody else's fun and this is an activity that I can enjoy on my own which I think when I was a kid my my parents always wanted me to have play dates and and doing things and I was never allowed to just go off and enjoy whatever I wanted to enjoy by myself which brings up another another sort of thought question for me about that fun and expectations and how that interaction uh, can take something that I thought was going to be fun and make it not fun because I have expectations about what is supposed to happen or how I am supposed to be while it's happening. And when they're not met, I'm like, well, am I having fun? I don't know. Uh, And, and I wonder if you have thoughts on that. That's, I never really thought about that, but I think it's true that if, if something, and I think it's something now that you bring it up that I can work on going forward, that I shouldn't put expectations on fun. And fun doesn't have to be perfect. Fun doesn't have to be the most perfect concert or the most perfect restaurant. It's more about being things that are simple that I can enjoy. Yeah. And I was thinking about this actually in the context of sort of enjoying and what is the goal and when you again you said fun is things that bring you joy or relax you and i'm thinking about uh, sometimes when i go to listen to a musician uh, maybe i sometimes when i go i really want to listen i really want to get into what they're doing and and sometimes i'm just not in that mood but i feel like I'm here, this person is playing live in front of me, I can see them, they can see me, and of course they're looking at me because I'm the center of attention for everybody in the world, right? (laughs) And if I'm not focused on them, paying attention to what's going on, I'm somehow failing the purpose for which I came. But maybe the purpose is not, in fact, to really get into the music. Maybe the music, maybe this is somebody I haven't heard before, and maybe their music just doesn't excite me. It's it's pleasant. I enjoy it. But, uh, you know, I I rather maybe read while I'm listening. And I'm still there. I'm still in the experience. The music is still coming in. When they play something that really excites me, I can stop and pay attention but if I have this expectation that I'm there to listen to the music and I have to listen to the music and I have to focus on the music, then it becomes not fun sometimes. Mm. It becomes not relaxing. It becomes not giving me joy. It becomes an obligation. And it's an obligation that I put on myself. Mm. It's not an obligation that anybody else put on me. I can look around the room and see half the people there are not paying direct attention to the music, but they're there maybe with friends, maybe they're there by themselves and they're just enjoying being there for the purpose of being there. It's so interesting. And and so I can put these expectations on myself that, that I think I have to meet and, and nobody else even knows they're there and nobody else is going to judge me for, for not meeting those expectations. Uh, and so I, I'm going to keep this brings me joy or relaxes me concept in mind when I start, when I see myself with uh, telling myself, well, you, you need to be doing this in order to enjoy the experience. And the answer to that is maybe I don't need to be doing that because it's not, if I, if I don't really feel like doing that, it's not bringing me joy. It's not relaxing me. And I need to, I, I, I want to do the thing that is fun. <laughs> okay. To bring it back to that word. It's, I, I like what you're saying because for, for me it brings up this, this feeling that everything has to be perfect. Even fun has to be perfect. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's a, like this afternoon I'm going to play tennis with, with some friends and I'm just learning how to play tennis. And in my mind I'm thinking 
that it's gonna, going to be difficult to have fun because they're much better than me. And it's actually bringing, it can bring me to this place of feeling anxious and stressed out. Yeah. And I, I enjoy what you're saying because like, no, this is for fun. It's to be outside. It's to be with my friends and I don't have to do it perfectly. And I think when I was a kid and even as an adult, I had to do everything perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, then I couldn't, then there was something wrong. And it's, it's good to know that, or it's good to think about that, that it doesn't have to be perfect. And what if, if fun has to be perfect, how is it fun? Really, really true. Which that word perfect is a, is a great segue into the, uh, the question I have here, which is, can you have fun when life is not perfect? I'm learning how to do that. I really am. I, I don't think I could... I think when things were not going well before, I would I would want to pull the covers over my head and and just pun, sort of self punish and yeah say I didn't deserve to have fun and and I wasn't worthy of it and now I'm seeing that that's really that's I want that's not healthy mm-hmm. and this this week when I did the magazine reading I had it I was having a very stressful week at work and something is really not going the right way and then I went and did this, you know, reading of my magazines. And I felt so much better after I felt so much lighter and so much like, uh, sort of more realistic about the situation. Like the world's not going to collapse or end if this deal does not get done the way it's supposed to get done. But it's in, I think sort of using the fun to break up, to break up my mind when, Mm -hmm. when I'm getting sort of down that rabbit hole of, of, unhealthy thinking is it's really actually fun can be really helpful yes it can and and you said work and that of course triggered a whole train of thought in my head uh, where sometimes i get stuck right Uh, and if i just sit there at my desk in my stuckness it's hard to get unstuck sometimes yeah yeah and if i take a quick break and uh, maybe go for a little walk or uh, actually sit at my desk and play a couple rounds of Candy Crush on my phone, uh, then that can break that cycle. Yeah. It's so interesting that we're talking about this because I, as I said, I have a deal that's really going the wrong way. And I have, you know, I, I work in New York City, and one of the luxuries of that is that you have wonderful restaurants to go to lunch to if you choose to. Mm-hmm. And I have um, two people in my office who I work with, and they grew up in India. Mm-hmm. And I had plans with them to go to this special Indian restaurant that they both like that reminds them of food from their childhood. And the plan, you know, we had these plans for Friday, and we had the plans for about a week. And then this sort of bomb exploded at work, and... I said to my boss, you know, I'm going to lunch and I'll, and I will work on this when I get back. And I had fun. And then I came back and by breaking up, like you said, by breaking it up, I was so much more and breaking it up with fun. I was so much more productive when I came back and, and, uh, I guess less worrisome about what was happening. Yeah, totally get that. Totally get that. And, I know a lot of people in my office bring lunch, and I sometimes bring lunch because it saves money. But one of the reasons that i sort of resistant to doing that is that sometimes I need to get out. I just, and I want to have, I often want to have just time by myself. I work in an, in an open office environment, so I have people around me all the time. Uh, conversations going on all the time that I have to you know, sort of block out or not black out and get engaged in when they're not really my conversation, which is a separate, uh, separate al issue. But, and so sometimes I need to, I need to take that time. I need to get out of the office. I need to go somewhere that may be noisy and chaotic, but it's not noise and chaos that I need to pay attention to. Mm. It's sort of white noise that actually enables me to, to cocoon in my own self. And, and then, if I'm having some something good to eat along with it, that's even better. <laughs> and I, I think another thing I, I noticed is that it's important to, for me to keep these 
keep the plans for fun because I think yeah. had this been three months ago, I would have just sat at my desk and stewed, stewed and worked and worked and worked and maybe ate something, but I would have easily put, put this uh, project over, over the fun. And I actually did the reverse. And I think my, my, my perspective was much better. I have to say, when I was listening to you tell the story, I was hearing that endpoint rather than the one that you actually came to. I was hearing, I, I was, I was just, I was totally expecting you to say, and so we didn't go out to lunch, and <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, uh, been there, done that, and and I'm just applauding your healthy reaction there to to sticking with your plans and, and having fun. And, and also in noting that when you did that, you actually were more productive when you came back because I totally could be that person sitting there and stewing at the desk and, and being resentful at, at having to break my plans and, and thinking about that rather than, than getting work done. And also uh, as, as you indicated and, and has been my experience, sometimes having the break is really necessary to be able to come back and, and do the work more effectively. And I was, you know, very sort of in the moment in this lunch and joyous and happy that, you know, my colleagues took, took me to have this experience with them. And, mm-hmm. and really, I think it goes to, for example, for looking at my own growth in the program, I really said to myself, I am not going to spend my lunch worrying about something that I cannot control. I'm going to be where I am with the people I'm with and, and enjoy it and have fun. And that for me is, is very new. Thank you. And I think that's another thing that the program has taught me that the program is teaching me is giving me tools to be in the moment, to be able to let go of the things that are not happening right now, the things that I, I'm not able to do anything about right now, um, you know, the serenity to accept the things I can't. And maybe maybe there are things that I can do something about later, but not right now. And so to let go of those things and to be able to enjoy the moment, I think, is also a real key to being able to have fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Brooke. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for your time. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. We got uh, a couple of emails also uh, to contribute to the topic from Denise. She wrote, Dear Spencer, the following is an excerpt from the Big Red Book, which is the text for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. My parents never drank a drop of alcohol in their lives, nor did their parents before them. They were highly respected members of the church. I read somewhere that our earliest childhood memory is often symbolic of our lives. My earliest memory is sitting in a playpen on a front veranda, feeling alone, trapped, and unable to get out. I was born and raised in a little farming town. After my parents married, three babies were born in three years, and my mother had no idea how to cope with us. My father worked in the medical field and constantly brought home drugs and pills for mother's nerves and migraines. In our family, there was a very sharp distinction between the family image and the community and what I actually saw at home. To the community, my parents were esteemed leaders and church workers, models of family life and community service. Our family life at home was actually far from this idealistic picture. My father was a workaholic, always on call. When not at work, he attended meetings for a myriad of community organizations. One of his addictions was to become president of every organization he joined. My mother struggled at home with her nerves, her migraines, and her children. When I misbehaved, I was beaten, even though my misdeeds were never more than average childhood explorations. Mother's worst threat was that she would walk out of the house and leave us if we did not behave. She often did walk out the door and down the road, taunting us with, See, I'm leaving you until you learn to behave. Crying, we would plead for her to come back and promise behavioral perfection. I became a workaholic like my father and almost as neurotic as my mother. I was unable to sustain any kind of meaningful, intimate relationship. By the time I was 40, I had the same dual world as my parents, a wholesome public image of success, and a private life of loneliness, suppressed feelings, and sexual dysfunction. I found a therapist who helped me explore the long-lost child imprisoned in the playpen of my soul. One day he mentioned that I might find meetings for adult children of alcoholics helpful. I thought he hadn't been listening when I told him of my family's history of proud sobriety. He said I didn't have to join, pay, or say anything, so I went to a meeting. 
I was shocked. The problem was the story of my life. It all fit. It is five years later now, and I'm still working on the program. With the help of my higher power, I claim my life and spirit separate from the web of past family dysfunction. The miraculous combination of therapy and working the 12 steps set me free from the prison of my childhood playpen to explore and experience my real and unique self. And Denise continues, I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. However, it was not until I discovered the tools within the adult children program did I really begin to be able to put all the pieces together, leading to the recovery of a relationship with my true self through my inner child. Until then, fun had only been a concept. I want to thank you, Spencer, for the beautiful way you show up in this world, Denise. And uh, and thanks for sharing that, Denise. That's a, um, a great reading, and I think um, many of us uh, have had similar uh, experiences in our childhood that really um, excluded fun from our lives. And uh, Morgan left this short note, meetings are free and for fun. With the topic of late, it's wonderful to run. Great topic, such an important thing to do in recovery. We are here to live happy and purposeful lives. Thanks, Morgan, for that, uh, that observation. After a short break, I'll continue with my life in recovery, where I talk about how recovery works in my daily life and my meetings. The first musical selection for this topic, and you can listen to all the musical selections on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 113, is uh, Cindy Lauper with Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Uh, this, I think, just sort of popped into my head as the obvious fun song. Um, it's got the, uh, the refrain, uh, when the working day is done, girls just want to have fun. Girls just want to have fun, fun. Girls just want to have fun. And, you know, it's it's a happy, upbeat song. Um, and I don't have much to add. Enjoy the song on the website. section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And it's actually been, unfortunately, been uh, a couple or three weeks, I hate to say, since uh, I last talked to you, that uh, it's been very busy. I had actually planned to do this episode about a week ago, and both uh, I and Brooke had scheduling difficulties. Uh, We finally managed to get together a couple of days ago and record um, the uh, the conversation that that we opened the show with, but uh, and and I thought, well, I could, you know, I could throw in a best of episode, um, and decided to just recognize reality, and and go with what I was able to do, which was to uh, to put together this show now. Thinking about meetings, uh, been uh, been a, a I think I had three in a row. Uh, first step tables where a newcomer came and uh, at two different meetings we did uh, talked about the first step talked about usually talked about what brought each of us into the program what we have found here or or something that was uh, perhaps triggered by a reading of the first step from either in one of the meetings past recovery and the other meeting uh, how Al-Anon works and always have this experience, uh, even when I have three three in a row, that every time I hear the reading, uh, I hear something a little bit different and try to share on what it means to me uh, in that day. Also, in, uh, in the interval there, uh, my step meeting was the first meeting of the month, and on that day we have one table that is working through the um, four-step workbook uh, um, blueprint b- blueprint to progress, and we're currently in the section on sex, which is somewhat uncomfortable to talk about, but also somewhat liberating, especially to hear um, to 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 be able to talk openly about those questions and to hear other people sharing on the topic and understanding that uh, you know we each have. While we each have our own experience, we also have a lot of commonality 
of experience, uh, of fears, of concerns, of potentially of shame. And that has been, you know, that's been my experience every time that I have shared openly about anything in a meeting is, is that I always find that I'm not alone in my life. Uh, life has been, is continues to be busy, as you might imagine, from not being able to find the time to do the, the podcast to the level that I want to, I want to do it. It takes a certain amount of, uh, time investment. And when I don't have the, the time or the energy to invest it, I guess I choose not to, uh, not to put out a quality that's less than what I want it to be. My uh, my daughter bought a car last winter from a friend. She really needed it to be able to get to work in the cold of the winter. She has some uh, breathing issues that make it extremely painful to be out in cold weather, uh, waiting for the bus, walking from the bus to work, walking from home to the bus. And, and so she really wanted a car to be able to, to drive, to not be able, not have to spend that time uh, out in the cold hurting her lungs. It was a, a fairly cheap car. She bought it from a friend who, uh, I think the friend had been planning to drive it across the country and then basically junk it when, when she got where she was going. And so my daughter bought it and it had some issues. Uh, she put some money into it. We put some money into it for a couple of safety issues that she didn't have the, the funds to repair. And this week it basically has died. Um, it needs a repair that the cost of the repair is significantly more than what she paid for the car. And so she's now facing the reality of having to get a new car because in the, in the interim, she also has uh, left the job where um, let's just say the work environment was, was not, not pleasant. Um, It was very unpleasant. And she's been, she's found a new job at a, um, at a reduced salary uh, and further away from home. So she really needs the car to get to work now. Um, Luckily we are able to loan her the use of our car for at least part of the time and she can arrange rides from, from coworkers and so on. So I think it was Monday. She was like, what do I do? I don't have a car. I need to get a car. I don't have money. I just took a job at less money. Uh, I still have my college loans to pay and, and so on. And I said, well, the first thing you do is you go to our credit union and you talk to them about what your, you know, what your parameters are, uh, what, can, will they give you a loan? What interest rate? How much? Etc. And and she went there, and apparently she has a very good credit at this point. And so uh, they offered her a loan, uh, either for a purchase from a dealer or from a private uh, individual uh, at a very good interest rate. I was amazed, like two and a quarter percent or something ridiculous like that. At least that seems ridiculous to me now. And she just said that uh, she views the car as something that got her through the winter. It, it, she said, probably I would have missed enough work that it would have paid for the cost of the car with my medical issues and, um, you know, is, is looking forward. And that's really amazing um, that she's able to do that. Thinking about upcoming topics for the podcast, I want to talk with Akila about a couple of more of the concepts. In particular, we're going to talk about concept four, participation is the key to harmony, and concept five, the rights of appeal and petition protect minorities and ensure that they be heard. And, you know, be interested to hear your thoughts uh, before we do this, your thoughts on what these concepts mean to you, both in the context of uh, the program, in the context of groups that you participate in, whether it be church, friends, work, or family, and in the context of your personal life. And certainly Akil and I will be sharing um, our perspectives on those ideas and those questions next week. You can leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions, and you can call and leave a voicemail at 
734-707-8795. That's right, you can call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of fun, or any of our upcoming topics, including Concepts 4 and 5. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And you can find out everything that you need to know about The Recovery Show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog, an occasional blog, and links to the music that we talk about, links to other recovery podcasts and websites as well. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, you can uh, be a guest host by phone or Skype or whatever. Email to feedback at com if you're interested. And as uh, Brooke did today, we can have a short, uh, maybe 20-minute conversation. Uh, or you can be a full co-host for about the, uh, the about two hours that it takes to record the full show. So I'm going to take a short break before looking at our overflowing mailbag. Our second musical selection, also available on the website, is All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow. And you may remember this song from, from I think it came out in the 90s. Uh, and the refrain is, all I want to do is have some fun. And unfortunately, the situation in the song, she's sitting in a bar drinking, sort of looking out at the world and and saying, all I want to do is have some fun. And it's not clear that she's actually having fun, that... Uh, She's looking at, at, at all the, all the, the working people who are, you know, washing their car, having lunch or whatever, as she's sitting in this bar and sort of, to me, um, it's, it's sort of a downside of the way that we sometimes think about having fun about the way that we need maybe something material, something to happen, something outside ourselves in order to have fun. And, and really, uh, as, I think Brooke and I explored in our conversation that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And in recovery, hopefully we're all finding ways to have fun that, that don't require something outside ourselves, uh, don't require maybe an altered state of consciousness, uh, don't require certain people. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was a good song for the topic. left us a voicemail uh, from an unfortunately uh, very noisy environment, uh, basically uh, was asking about uh, detachment with love as a topic idea. Uh, and, you know, I think we talked about detachment fairly early in uh, in the podcast, and it is definitely a topic worth revisiting. And actually, now that I think about it, was uh, the, the to- table topic at my Sunday night meeting um, with some great shares around the table. Um, so, uh, Eric, I'll be, uh, talking to you about maybe doing that topic again. And, uh, I know you said you had some, some ideas, so hopefully you can, uh, share them with us. Brian wrote with a question about sponsorship. He says, hi, I just found your show and I think it's great. I found you because I got the idea to search for Al-Anon podcasts from a recent daily reading encouraged to change. And this is Spencer, um, I didn't realize there was a reading encouraged to change about podcasts. I'm going to have to go look for that. Back to, back to Brian. Thank you. You are really filling a void for me. I don't live in an urban area, so there are not a lot of meetings to begin with and even fewer that I can make. My question has to do with sponsors. I'm listening to episodes 25 and 32 when I get off work, so I hope I'm not asking something you've already covered. I've been in the program a couple of years now. I currently do not have a sponsor because I moved last year. I had a great relationship with my previous sponsor, but there was a generational problem, mainly the fact that he didn't do email and didn't have a cell phone. This exacerbated the fact that he is probably 40 years older than I am. I'm being a lot more picky in choosing my new sponsor. My ideal sponsor has a smartphone or at least a cell phone. An email address and ideally is less than 20 years my senior. Another qualification I am struggling with is whether or not to require that the potential sponsor's qualifier be their spouse. I think that the dynamics of child qualifier are different from spouse qualifier. 
I've made this a lot harder because I'm male and there are very few men in any of the meetings I've been to. I don't think this is asking too much of a sponsor, but I might as well be asking for a unicorn in my geographic area. In the interim, do you know of a Match.com for someone seeking a sponsor? Short of that, is there a way to find an online AWOL group or maybe someone to talk to who is closer to my age and circumstances? Thank you again for what you do. Brian. I got to say, Brian, I I sympathize with you. Um, I've been uh, through the sponsor search and um, as as a man in Al-Anon, it can be difficult uh, because there are less men in the program than there are women. And somehow, it, again, at least in my area, um, a lot of the men don't seem to be interested in sponsoring. Um, so, and I, and unfortunately I don't, I don't know of a match.com, uh, for, uh, for sponsors. Um, so, uh, wow. I, w- I, uh, there's a couple of, well, there's there's one website that I know of which has an online uh, community of recovery, and that is intherooms.com. Um, I've spent some time there. Um, it certainly is a place where you can um, have uh, sort of a, a, a forum conversation with uh, other people in recovery and potentially uh, find a sponsor. Your question about the qualifier um, is an interesting one. I know when I when I started in the program, I really wanted somebody who was in the same situation um, with, uh, you know, in other words, somebody who was who had a spouse who was uh, the alcoholic uh, that at least had brought them to the program. And as I've been longer in the program, that has become less important for me because the issues that I face are less related to the dynamics of the particular relationship with the alcoholic that I have and more to just sort of staying within the principles of the program, using those principles in my life. And so the, uh, in fact, my, my second sponsor, uh, I believe came into the program because of alcoholic parents was an excellent sponsor for me, was able to help me, uh, with any number of, uh, life and program issues that I had. Um, so it, but it really is, you know, it has to be a personal choice, obviously, and you have to feel a fit. Uh, I, I totally get the, uh, email, smartphone, cell phone, uh, thing, uh, because I am, although I'm, I may be more than 20 years older than you, that is totally, uh, my life these days, uh, my phone goes everywhere with me and I go everywhere with it, which, mm, yeah, enough said. Anyway, um, thanks for writing, Brian, and, and maybe somebody else, uh, maybe one of you listening has a uh, has some suggestions for Brian. Suzanne left a uh, comment and topic suggestion on the website. She says, I am about two and a half years in recovery. I've had several instances in the past three to four months that I have chosen recovery over pre-programmed friends. I've had to discontinue a friendship of 20 plus years as my girlfriend is in a very active alcoholic marijuana home, deep in chaos and continually trying to bring me into the chaos. I had invited her to attend several Al-Anon meetings, which she did, consistently negating Al-Anon every chance she could. It reminded me of Sarah Bullock in 28 Days when she comes out of rehab and has to disconnect from her old boyfriend. Recovered has an episode on toxic relationships. Would you consider a show on toxic relationships from the Al-Anon perspective? Bless you all for your commitment to this show. It is saving lives and making a difference. Uh, and and thanks, Suzanne, for, for that the observation and the question. Um, yeah, it's a great topic. Um, and uh, one to... Uh, that would definitely be one I'd, I think I'd want to find a, a good co-host who's uh, really interested in the topic. So if you are interested in talking about toxic relationships from an Al-Anon perspective and uh, want to co-host an episode, uh, let me know. Feedback at com. Thanks. Lori sent a quote in response to the Do You Drink episode, she says, which is, this is not her, this is not what she said, this is the quote. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. And that's Oscar Wilde. And, you know, I, I was like, wow, that's really short. But then I started thinking about it. And, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of what I was saying in that episode was sort of comparing 
my behavior to what I think is expected of me, what I think my loved ones expect of me. And Oscar Wilde is saying, just be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be what somebody else expects you to be. And so uh, really thank you for that, uh, that reminder, Lori. Okay, Sarah left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer on The Recovery Show. This is Sarah in California. Thanks so much for continuing to host this. I just listened to Do You Drink? And wow, that was my heart and my thoughts spoken back to me. Um, my partner doesn't drink. I do. And I didn't realize how much of a struggle I was having with it on a subconscious level. Um, he doesn't have any problem with me drinking in front of him with him being at parties where there's drinking. But uh, I have. I have a sense of deep sadness, shame, anxiety. I don't know. It, it, but I do it anyway. Um, but it becomes a very mental process. So it's actually driven me away from drinking in front of him. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't also realize that I go out of the house. I go out with friends when I drink. And, um, again, there's a kind of hiding or shaming or an isolation from it because I feel like I can't share that activity, that place, the, the bar or wine bar scene. Um, and it's, it's felt off. And I did not think that that was something that was anything but me. So thank you so much for the episode. It, um, I don't want to say validated, but it, it made me feel less alone. So thanks so much. I keep coming back to this time and time again, and I really appreciate the recovery show. Have a great one. Bye. And, and thank you, Sarah, uh, for, uh, for validating my experience as well. Appreciate that. Um, got an email from Nancy. She writes, Hello, Spencer. First of all, thank goodness I found your website. I am so grateful for yours and your guests' hosts' words and stories. They have helped me so much. I listen to your podcasts while taking walks with my dog, in my car, or even in the grocery store on my Bluetooth. It's like my little secret. I have one home meeting, a parents group, and another type of group with both addicts, alcoholics, and codependents. I've been coming to Al-Anon for over a year and have a sponsor, but enjoy your show so much more because you stay on focus to the true principles of the program more than some meetings and make it so real. I feel like I really know you. I love your personal touch. What a gift. By the way, my sponsor would be an awesome guest host. I'll encourage her to call or email you. Our 23-year-old son is extremely addicted to oxycodone, meth, and who knows what else. He's been using drugs many years, but we became aware of the extent just in the last two to three years. He has failed out of rehab twice, and we have been forced to let him go and to let him find his own path out of our home. He's been out for seven months, so extremely heartbreaking. He's completely homeless now. My husband and I and his two sisters are devastated. He has shown up on our doorstep at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter in terrible shape. He is desperate, but not to find recovery, just to let us invite him in to shower, eat, and stay. We forced him out to honor our own boundaries. My daughter's upcoming wedding and our lives must go on. So incredibly painful. I worry constantly, but have been told worry means loss of control, and yet we know we are completely powerless. He's been arrested 13 times, all misdemeanors thanks to a new proposition passed in California. So we cannot rely on the law saving him from his behavior. We hope somehow his consequences and his higher power may guide him to his recovery, but positive changes in our lives may aid our recovery in his, we pray. If there are any guest speakers who may have had experience in a level such as this, please let me know. We feel helpless, but not hopeless. We love our son so much. Thank you so much, Spencer, Nancy. And I do have uh, friends who have been in a similar place, may still be in a similar place, uh, may be able to uh, convince some of them to, uh, to guest host on the podcast. But if um, you who are listening have... Uh, a similar experience that you would like to share uh, with Nancy and with the podcast audience, please, uh, please give me a call. Uh, give me an email, drop me an email or uh, leave a voicemail and we will uh, get in touch and maybe we can do, do an episode. Um, there was, uh, I think it was episode maybe 78 or 79 with Michelle, uh, where she talked about their experience with their, 
their, I think, son and relapse and maybe recovery. Uh, I would refer you to that one if you haven't uh, listened to it already. Uh, and also, um, Mark over at recoveredcast.com has done some episodes on um, his struggle with and relationship with his uh, son who was a heroin addict. And uh, so you may find may find some uh, experience, strength, and hope there as well. I can't recommend specific episode numbers at the Recovered Podcast in there. Um, but if you write to uh, Mark at the Recovered Podcast, and I think if you go to his website, uh, recoveredcast.com, you'll find the uh, the contact address, or there's a link to Recovered on uh, on our website, therecoveryshow.com. So there's, there's some resources for now, at least. Uh, Catherine writes, Dear Spencer, just wanted to thank you for these podcasts. I've been listening for maybe six months now when a program friend recommended them to me. I listen to them when I need to. I was on a road trip last week, and I listened to a couple of podcasts in succession. They really helped me change my attitude. Frankly, I was in a very resentful mood. I listened to Right of Decision, and then I listened to One on Hope. I don't know how that one ended up being the one I clicked. I was driving, and so I shouldn't have been touching anything on my smartphone at all, but I was. The podcast on Hope popped up, and I clicked play. It was a lifesaver. My attitude started to improve. I really liked the idea of not knowing when I'll be okay necessarily, but knowing that eventually I will be okay. I just finished listening to the podcast on chaos. Again, my higher power intervened. The road trip was great in many ways, but it also depleted me and got me off of all of my self-care routines. It's been rough trying to get back into them over the last week. I came home today from work frustrated about a multitude of things in my life. My apartment was in a dreadful state of mess, and I wanted to blame it all on my qualifier, even though I also live here. Lol. The word acceptance kept popping into my head, but I couldn't sit still. I prayed a little for willingness. A bunch of ideas ran through my head of things I could or should do. Eventually, I settled on listening to the podcast on chaos while I cooked myself a nutritious meal. Not only do I feel better, but the part about the holidays is extremely relevant to me right now. May is a very busy month for me, and I have already been feeling apprehensive. Someone in the podcast on chaos also made this same reference or idea of the moment of chaos not defining me. Yes, perhaps my life is really chaotic right now, but I know it won't be like this forever. Partly I know this because I work the Al-Anon program. By working the steps with my sponsor, reaching out to people in program and phone calls, and reaching out in prayer to my higher power. And of course, I listen to podcasts and speaker tapes when I'm alone or in a jam. I've experienced more peace and healing in this program and know I'll feel more serenity again. I just need to keep coming back and take it one day at a time. I'm really grateful and had been meaning to say thank you for a while. Thank you and thanks to all the other guest speakers of the podcasts. Sincerely, Catherine. And and thank you, Catherine. And you know, she mentions recommending it to friends, and uh, um, you know that is something you can do. Uh, I would suggest uh, ask that you do it outside of uh, meetings, just because we are not uh, conference-approved literature, if you will. It, in the podcast, we're just people sharing our own experience, as we might in a meeting, but it's not a meeting. Uh, but I I do recommend uh, suggest the podcast to. Uh, people occasionally after meetings or talking to them outside of a meeting. And as I mentioned, I think uh, last week there's a uh, page on the website that has a PDF file. You can download and print out some business cards that are easy to hand out. There's a a link in the, uh, I think it's on the right-hand side of the website in the the so-called sidebar uh, business card PDFs. And then when you get to that page, there's right below the big bold title, there's a, a link that actually gives you the PDF file that you can print and some information about what uh, cardstock you would print it on, or you could print it on paper and cut it out with scissors. That certainly could work as well. A, uh, a listener writes, what a gift. I live with active alcoholism and have been reluctant to go to Al-Anon. Your podcast has given me the courage to attend my first meeting last week and hope for a brighter life. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. And thank you so much for writing uh, with uh, that inspiration because uh, one of the reasons for doing the podcast is to to help people who maybe can't get to a meeting or have not yet been to a meeting, uh, maybe wondering what this Al-Anon program is about, what it might do for them, and if we can share in our experience uh, how how the program is working for us, maybe you can find uh, that it will work for you as well, and or maybe 
make the experience of going to a meeting a, a little less daunting um, and and get you into this this program of recovery, which has worked for so many of us. And if you listen to the podcast and decide that, no, this is not for you, then, well, that's, that's also a benefit, I guess. I was at a... Um, one of, one of the first step meetings I was at recently, a, a person at the table shared that in she used to hear uh, old timers say, you know, if you try us for six weeks and you don't like us, we will happily refund all your misery. And I know I've used that, that, uh, that line myself a few times and it's, you know, it's humorous, but uh, there, there's also some truth to it. Brian left a comment with some topic suggestions, including, including these. Says it might just be the demographics of the areas I have attended meetings, but I have a hard time finding Al-Anon members under sixty. The old timers say there used to be many more people going to meetings, but that has changed in the last five years. Some blame online meetings, and most just don't know. Generation gaps in Al-Anon. I think that's a topic suggestion, uh, and also uh, knowledge from AA or crossovers with AA or things I learned from AA. Maybe just to show on or uh, adding my own comment here with double winners. Thanks for all you do. I can't get enough of the podcast. Love it. Um, wow. Yeah, I think it's I think it's where you live, Brian, because definitely in my area there are um, a, f- a fair number of young people. I mean, definitely if I look around the room at most of my meetings, the the average age in the meeting is probably in the 40s or 50s with people up into their 80s. Uh, and a few people in their 20s, but some of the meetings that I go to there's there's actually a, a fair number of people in their twenties and thirties. Uh, and, uh, and I think it, you know, it may have in part to do with the, um, the Ann Arbor area seems to have a very dynamic, uh, community of young people in recovery, um, maybe partly due to the, uh, some of the awesome recovery resources that we have in the area. Um, we, and, and, and lapping over into your second topic, um, all of the meetings that I go to have, have a healthy, I think healthy is the word to use here, uh, leavening of people who are also in another program, find, you know, consider AA or NA or, or something as perhaps their primary program, but finding, who are finding real benefit from, from coming to Al-Anon. And I, I think that, that those people enrich, um, my Al-Anon experience, uh, with, um, by by broadening the perspective of what it means to be in recovery and how we work the steps and how the steps work in our lives. So thanks for those suggestions. And, and I really like the idea. You know, I started out, actually started out podcasting uh, as a guest on Recovered, which is mostly AA-focused podcast with with some Al-Anon contributions. And uh, because the, the host there is, I think, admittedly in both programs. And and I started out being sort of the Al-Anon voice on this mostly AA podcast. And, um, you know, I occasionally do have guests who uh, may not necessarily identify themselves as being in both, in both programs, but who are. Uh, and, and it would be interesting to, uh, to do one where we really focus on sort of the crossovers uh, between the programs, what's common, what's in common, and what's not. Um, so, great idea. Thanks, Brian. And let's see, Mel left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. I'm calling you from Georgia. This is Nell. Um, I've called before, but I haven't actually listened for a while. It was refreshing to listen again to the on drinking episode. And two things came up for me as I was listening, um, and I'm going to share them just actually just to sort of piece them out for myself. So one was the idea, uh, well, self-criticism came up. Um, you were talking about that at the end. And um, it occurs to me that self-criticism is actually a, a form of control that it's as if as if I if I had if I if I had acted different I could have you know things could have come out differently maybe that's obvious but like I keep thinking to myself oh if only I did such and such then right as if I had that much power and control which you know we all know I don't um, the other thing about that is um, I keep thinking that it's up to me to change the entire situation. Um, and, you know, like, so, for example, if someone gets irritated or, you know, something negative happens, I always look at myself and think, well, what could I have done differently to make that not happen? And sometimes there's absolutely nothing I can do, you know. Sometimes, um, 
sometimes the situation is just irritating, and sometimes the person is just irritating. You know, sometimes it's just nothing, but that's the way it is. And so, you know, going into acceptance and also, um, you know, being a little more humble has been helpful for me. <laughs> like I can just turn on my humble. Okay. The other the other thing that came up for me was the idea of using. Um, so using in terms of, you know, you have an urge to, uh, one has an urge to use if they're, you know, addicted to something, for example, alcohol. But um, but it's an interesting term because I think my hit, you know, my addiction is in um, is in using other people. So I can think about using in that way, you know. So, yeah, I want to use. You know, when do I want to use and what's that urge? It's when I want to, you know, blame or um, have somebody else be, Whatever it is, the, the 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 million ways that I use other people to serve me. Um, so those are just my two sort of abstract but um, important to me thoughts about where my program is right now. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Bye. And thanks, Mel, for your contribution. And I uh, can definitely relate to using other people to uh, to lift my mood. To uh, you know, looking for something outside of me. There are a lot of things outside of me, and one of the things that that I, uh, I can I can go to is is try to getting whatever it is I need from somebody else, and you know that's not always the healthiest, usually not the healthiest way to uh, to try to fulfill my needs. And I want to thank all of you who sent emails, left voicemails, uh, contributing to contributing to the recovery show because your voices really do. Uh, make a contribution uh, if what you said helps somebody else to connect with uh, something in their recovery. You have made a, a valuable contribution to to this show, to this podcast. Thank you so much. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. And so you can also help to support us, keeping us on the web and in your ear by using the donation button on the website. Uh, just like Tamlin, Michelle, and Alice did. And thank you again uh, for your generous contributions. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's listening, telling friends about the show, uh, calling in and emailing to contribute, or just listening. We are here for you. Our last song selection here is Fun, Fun, Fun by the Beach Boys. Again, you can listen to this at therecoveryshow.com slash 113. And, wow, do I need to say anything about this song? Actually, I do want to say something because uh, the the line that immediately pops into my head when I see the, the song title is, uh, she had fun, fun, fun till her daddy took her T-bird away. And that, again, sort of points to this notion that we need something outside of ourselves to have fun and that we, we can't have fun without it. And I think that one of the things that this program teaches us is that we can have fun on our own, we can be serene on our own, we can find recovery on our own with the help of our higher power, with the help of the program, and that we don't need things or necessarily specific other people uh, for that purpose. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.